We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. can't wait to hit the Tupac part of my career, man. Oh, yeah? Just super fucking paranoid, fucking smoking on blizzards all night long. I got a podcast talking about horror movies. One studio I got po- doing our podcast, Main Live. Uh-huh. Henry, Woo! I hate to break it to you. I think you're in the middle of your Tupac phase. That's exactly <laughs> what? what you do already. You get you get stoned every waking second that you're not talking, you're smoking marijuana. You're amazingly paranoid. Yeah, dude. Well, you got yeah. to be, man. All eyes on me, man. I got eyes in the back of my head. All my eyes are on them. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks here on the East Coast. That's us. <laughs> and then West Coast, Henry Zabrowski. Can you guys, honestly, you guys can't see me. Are you trying to make a gang symbol with your fat Polish hands? Because it's really, you can't, it does not look, it looks like the penguin when I you do it. <laughs> you look like Danny DeVito's penguin. When I do when I do the West Side, I do look like Danny DeVito's penguin. <laughs> but this is, is this Bloods? This what with e- the hand fi- with the with the curls up. It actually uh, you have just spelled bread. You <laughs> you just spelled bread with your hands. All right, we are on to part two of Biggie and Tupac. Great reception for the first one. Yes, I, uh, which was uh, which was so nice to hear. So thank you yeah. for all the positive feedback. Well, I did also get some negative feedback. Well, yeah, there yeah, was yeah, a small yeah. correction that has to be made, but that's okay. Little correction up top. Puff Daddy was not the son of Frank Lucas. All right. <laughs> Puffy's dad, Melvin Combs, worked for Frank Lucas and was killed in a drug deal gone bad when Puffy was three. I made a mistake, okay? We're out here fucking on the front lines of the podcast wars going on right now. Nobody Uh understands that. We got shots (laughs) coming our way, so we got to take shots going their way, man, because I am too real to be corrected. Yes, nothing nothing less physically violent than a podcast feud. Uh, We are not exactly a... None of us are a mobile people. We are sitters. Is there anything more mentally violent than a one-star review on iTunes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do this. So when we last left our protagonists, Suge Knight and Tupac had just made a deal to spring Tupac from jail in exchange for three albums on Death Row Records. Mm. So remember, 
Tupac came from a world of being like a street poet. Right. Thug life was about uniting the gangs. But see, when he came out of jail, his whole shit had changed. He had become he become very hardcore. Right. Because like, he, he saw something in, in jail, that, and it changed him, and he came out swinging hard, and now he has Suge, has his back, and is kind of like making him feel very, very confident. And the two of them are kind of a uh, chicken and the egg scenario of who's making who worse. Yeah. Okay. Now, meanwhile, Suge Knight's criminality was only getting bolder. In 1994, Suge allegedly directed his entourage to stomp a Roland 60s Crip to death hmm. during a death row party at the El Rey Theater, where we had our Halloween show last year. No kidding! <laughs> wow, I didn't realize that was also the location for a stomp to death. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. That's a str- it's, do they usually give the directive? I know there's, there's a lot of directives uh, to harm somebody. I didn't realize they actually uh, articulated exactly how to do it. Uh, well, it was just pretty much get him. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, yeah. yeah, get him and get it. Usually, like, get him in that context means stomp him to death. So, and of course, stomping to, uh, someone to death is when you bring a bunch of uh, steel garbage cans together and you got a bunch <laughs> yes. of broomsticks. It sounds really yes. good. Yeah. That's a little you reference have to, to be, stomp. Because yeah. stomp is an hour and 45 minutes. Now. Yes. <laughs> Then, in 1995, Suge beat and tortured a record promoter named Mark Anthony Bell during a Christmas party at Suge's home. Bell was held captive in a room in Suge's house and was beat senseless by Suge's crew before being allegedly forced to drink Suge's piss from a champagne flute. Oh my! Now, honestly, wow. set the scene, right? Like music's playing. It's nice little party and stuff. Suge's in the back. He's got a Santa hat on. They're all drinking eggnog. This is kind of true. They had it. I'm sure they had like you know they had like liquor in it, but it was eggnog. I think you're kind of Griswolding up the scene here a little bit. Kind of Griswolding it up. There's a lot of Griswold imagery in this story. Okay. So he sees Mark Anthony Bell walks in. There's like, we gotta go. We're gonna get him. He's gonna bring us to Puffy. They bring him to which is Suge's always Suge's main. MO, right? Bring them to another location. And what did we learn on our podcast? Never go to a second location. Never do it. He said, come, we're going to go talk with you and my boys. We're going to go talk up in the upstairs bedroom. They go in that bedroom. They tie him to a chair. They start wailing on him. Jesus. All of a sudden, Suge goes in the room. And now this is according to Suge. After jail, what he said, he's like, yeah, it's like a lot of people say that we tortured uh, Mark Anthony Bell. But actually, I mean, like, all we did was hit him a couple times and Make him drink a little pee. That's all we did. Uh-huh. And so he went and he filled a champagne flute filled with his own urine, which is difficult. Mm. If anybody's ever right. been on a road trip and tried to fill a beer bottle with piss, <laughs> like in the scene from Dumber and Dumber, it's difficult to know the levels. It shows he's done this before. <laughs> he's an expert in it. Huh? Oh, right. Yeah. So and then they made him drink the pee, okay. which is just like... That's very humiliating. I think we could go, we could call it torture. I yeah. Think. Oh, we can definitely call it torture. And the guy himself, uh, he said that he did not drink pee. He tried to jump off the balcony. Uh, they did bring out a champagne flute full of piss. Okay. No matter what. Everyone agrees that sure. there was a champagne flute full of piss involved oh. in here somewhere. But the guy, uh, Mark Anthony Bell, said he tried jumping off the uh, balcony. Uh, so he never drank the piss, but they did beat the fuck out of All him. All right. How high up were they there? Third, second uh, floor? Probably second or okay, third Okay, so floor. he could have yeah. jumped off. Yeah, and this whole disgusting incident happened because Suge believed that Bell knew who was responsible for the death of a close friend and associate of Suge's, a bodyguard named Jake Robles. Okay. 
Three months before this incident, the Death Row and Big Boy crews had run into each other at the Platinum Club in Atlanta. Before the fight was over and done with, Jake Robles was shot and killed. Mm. Now, virtually nothing is known to us as to who the actual culprit was, if it was an order that was given to attack Death Row staff, or if the whole thing was just a simple confrontation that got out of hand, as these things sometimes do. Oh, right. But one thing was for sure. The East Coast-West Coast rivalry now officially had a body count. Also, if you want to count the fact that should gave Easy E AIDS slipping in my hypodermic needle when they had that meeting trying to sign, the, trying to figure out the uh, all the shit with fucking ruthless records. Did that happen? It's a, yeah, it's rumored that uh, that Suge Knight brought a hypodermic. It's not true. Definitely, it's not, but that's a rumor though. <laughs> no, man. You know, I will say this about this whole story: if you want to get deep into the conspiracy theory surroundings the death of Biggie and Tupac. Right. It is deep and it is long and everyone's done it and yeah. everyone's still alive. It's amazing how deep conspiracy theories can go, you know, because it's all people making things up <laughs> and then that you can just do that forever. You can like make that's what that's the thing with conspiracy theories. There's a lot of data. Very little truth. Interesting, though. Well, the thing is about the Jake Robles murder, Suge Knight fully believed that the person who gave the order to shoot was Sean Puffy Combs. Okay. Now, as we said at the top of the last episode, the Biggie and Tupac murders are essentially solved cold cases, meaning investigators know who did it and know uh. who was responsible, but were never able to gather enough evidence to prove it in a court of law. It's so interesting, though, because wasn't Puffy's brand, like, the nice one? Wasn't he considered, like, the nicer uh, now rapper? Now it is. But wasn't now the back, I don't remember, I just remember him with Mace, and who became a preacher. Like, I never remembered Puffy being tough, but... Because this was the first chapter of the rap that got to us, okay? Right. Where it's like when Puffy, when we really absorbed Puffy, it was him doing the shoulder dance right. and like the white silver shoot and the mirror tunnel and all that shit. But before that, he was hardcore. Okay. And especially because of Suge, he had to present himself as even more hardcore than he wanted to because Suge actually meant violence. Right, right, right. Like, like he, and he was surrounding himself with crews because he came from the MOB like he wasn't actually fully, and fully mm. involved with the Bloods and Puffy had to figure out how to compete and also for marketing's sake yeah. he had to appear very very tough right well I mean he definitely gives more uh, depth to his character because you know now he's like I'm sure he's had some meetings where it's like you think I'm the guy from the reality show <laughs> let me tell you a little story <laughs> about Puff Daddy and then I'm sure it gets very very horrified at that point <laughs> Now, the thing is about this case is the reason why there was never enough evidence to prove it in a court of law. Because, of course, when it comes to uh, criminal cases, there's what you know and what you can prove. Right. And those are two very different things. Yes. And the reason why it never came to court was because there was no follow through. Hmm. And that's also why the vast majority of people still believe that these murders are such a huge mystery. Right. And so because of that, we've got three stories to tell. The murders, the investigation, and why that follow through didn't happen. All right. Now, the investigation that cracked things wide open was not the original. The original Biggie investigation was headed up partly by a decorated officer named Russell Poole, who, while being a fantastic cop and very good at his job, he unfortunately lost the plot when he became convinced the murder was a wide-reaching conspiracy involving the LAPD. Oh, okay. It's kind of like when Philip K. Dick went insane, right? When <laughs> right. he went insane because of his brain tumor. We had a, he had an aneurysm, and he went nuts. He went insane in the coolest way 
possible because he was a, an brilliant sci-fi writer right. and he went down to the depths of his own mind and he was using his brilliant fictional brain to try to figure out what was happening to him in reality mm. and it created the Valve trilogy which is obvious for me the 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 peak of sci-fi right i fucking love it Russell Poole was I'm such so a happy good you cop. somehow got to Philip K. Dick in our Biggie and Tupac series. Congratulations. I have to That is I a nerd leap. That is, that is, wow. I, I have to bring it back to a way I can understand. But Russell Poole is like that. He was such a good uh, cop. Right. He began to, like, investigate himself. That is, it was like, he eventually, at right. some point, Russell Poole was like, maybe I did this. Wow. And I have, to, I have to investigate this to see maybe if I did it. And he went all the way down, like, the picture of Charlie Day from Always Sunny with the fucking yarn lines yeah, and the right. whole conspiracy thing. That was him. And Labyrinth is a good, the, his book that he wrote is good to see what it's like to see a man incept himself into police conspiracy. But it also right. throws you off the track of what really happened well, with Biggie and Tupac. I I didn't realize, so a, a actual police officer was the first one to come up with this conspiracy that the yes. LAPD was was involved. That's that's pretty fascinating. Usually yeah. it's someone who looks like Henry, who is just like constantly outside the police department smoking near the bushes, and everyone's <laughs> like, uh, we can see the smoke pill- billowing out of the bushes, Mr. Zabrowski. Can you please just leave? Now I can't see me. That's what the smoke is there for. So I only see the smoke. <laughs> Sorry, sir, you have to leave. Yeah, but that's how bad the LAPD was at the time. I yeah. see. Was that they were so bad that cops within it were trying to frame the police department right. for crimes just yeah. to stop them. Yeah, this is, I mean, now this is uh, just after the Rodney King riots and all that kind of stuff, right? This About is... six, seven years after that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, We're talking around, yeah, we're talking uh, maybe five years after okay. that. But when the uh, the story really started coming up, that was like late 90s. Oh, right. And actually, like, Paul, like, you know, like, RIP, he just died, I think, last year. Hmm. Uh he later came up with a different theory, but his original theory is partly and poorly laid out mm. in the aforementioned Nick Broomfield documentary, Biggie and Tupac. Okay. Uh, and, you know, the theory is, like all conspiracy thought, complicated beyond comprehension. Right. Long story short, Poole followed the evidence to a point where a theory involving the LAP could be formulated, but once he got that theory stuck in his head, he tried to force the evidence to fit his narrative, ignoring okay. anything contradictory. It's a great story, though. It's a great which story. Which is the reason why he did it. And the coincidences in it are like... Holy shit! You can't right. make this stuff up. But he was as he was. But it was wrong. It was still just coincidences, which is obviously that the all thing about all conspiracy theories that there's just enough right to keep you going when it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, instead of like following the evidence and going where the evidence took him, he wanted to take the evidence where he wanted to put it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And you know that I've heard a cop say like, "There's no coincidence in homicide." Like, well, I don't know Bro, the, one, the one sto- <laughs> <laughs> the one story the one story the one story that really made me rethink like the concept of coincidence yeah. uh, is Mark David Chapman. Sure. Uh, when you look at how many coincidences came up in that story, yeah. uh, it really does make you a believer. It's like, well, sometimes the world just creates roadblocks. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the reason why, like Henry said, the reason why they, you know, pull follow the story is because the story is so compelling. Uh, according to that, Biggie Smalls was murdered under the order of Suge Knight in retaliation for Tupac's death by an LAPD officer named David Mack in conjunction with a Nation of Islam member named Amir Muhammad. Okay. Now, David Mack is a crazy character to begin with yeah. anyway, because that was a cop that was robbing fucking banks. There was like That whole Rampart story is nuts. Yeah. 
He was Robin Banks as a cop? He was Robin Banks as a cop. He did what what was one of his highest, like seven hundred and fifty thousand? Wow. He was serious. Because he used his cop smarts to realize when to go pick up the money from the bank. Because you have to wait because uh. the bank purges cash after a period of time. So you have to wait till it's at its peak and go get it like like mm, like a like a butt. <laughs> interesting, interesting. So he used his cop sense. He used his cop smarts, very similar to pig sense. <laughs> we, we talk about pig sense. Who was the guy who had pig sense? Robert Picton. Robert, Robert Picton. Picton. Robert Picton's pig sense and you, his cops. Do you you have the memory of a goldfish. <laughs> Thank you. Is it the booze? No, I swim a lot. Uh, no, I don't know. No, no. We we cover so much. We, we cover so much. And honestly, goldfish they have a three second memory, but what else? That's all they need. Theoretically, yeah. it keeps them happy and. <laughs> Live in those little fish tanks. So you're excited for dementia because <laughs> you feel like that's whatever. when you'll finally be released. You'll Make finally, it up. you'll finally be at ease. Make them up. So furthermore, David Mack was a cop that was a part of a broader contingent, according to Pool, within the LAPD that was on Suge Knight's payroll. So according to Russell Pool, like there were a ton of cops that were on the death row payroll, and all of this was coming on the heels of a major LAPD corruption case involving the aforementioned anti-gang crash unit. That scandal was known as Rampart. Okay. And add to that just the general distrust and disdain people have for the LAPD due to very public incidents that usually involved race in some way or another, Mm -hmm. and suddenly Poole's theory started to sound pretty reasonable. Sure. But it didn't sound reasonable to the LAPD. Well, naturally, they're the ones who were accused of doing the crime. That's the least stunning piece of information I have ever heard in my entire life. They were doubtful. They They were were doubtful about his theory. (laughs) And so Poole was taken off the case. Okay. And this actually. And this actually served the opposite purpose for the LAPD yeah. because this attracted more attention to Poole's theory, and right. it particularly attracted the attention of Biggie's mother, Valletta Wallace. So this is your obstruction of justice case against the LAPD on, mm-hmm. on, uh, on Mr. Poole there. Yeah. And so Valletta Wallace used the evidence Poole had gathered to bring a wrongful death suit against the LAPD, suing the department for Biggie's estimated lifetime earnings, which sat at a cool half a billion dollars. Woo! Holy hell. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And the LAPD did not want to fucking, they did not want to give up half a billion dollars because that's a lot of Donkey Kong arcade games, which is what they have in a lot of the lunchrooms in police departments. Because that's what I remember from my father's police department. That's where I would go. They do uh, take your son to work day, and he just put me in the lunchroom, and I play Donkey Kong all day. Wow. (laughs) Well, what... What a what a life lesson that is. Yep. <laughs> well, needless to say, as soon as this half a billion dollar lawsuit came through, the LAPD started paying attention. Can you? I don't know if I like this idea of police officers taking their son to work day. Like, just <laughs> oh, imagine yeah, being a perp getting cuffed, and then just a little seven year old Henry Zabrowski be like, "What'd you do?" <laughs> Why? Was it murder? No, I'm not. You ever think that maybe when you go to jail that someone's going to poke you in the back stairs? God <laughs> damn it. Can we just get this over with? No, it's true. I I, had a, I got to shoot a gun. You did? <laughs> That's yeah, we went good. to the range. My dad uh, had to qualify. It was like it worked with the same time. My dad had to go. Uh, he had to qualify because you have to qualify to get your license every year. And he had to qualify, and he took me to the range, and I shot a gun. And then we went to my favorite comic book store, The Web. I still remember that as being the favorite day of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Well, after the LAPD started paying attention, that's when they assigned Detective Greg Kading to Ooh. solve the case. Okay. Now, I misspoke a little bit last episode. 
Operation Wrap It Up uh-huh. was actually a subfile of the overall operation to catch Biggie's murderer, which was Operation Transparency. Okay. All very cool names, I have to say. Great so far, Rampart is that so? The, it's Operation well, Rampart. Well, no, Rampart was the name of the police station that was caught up in the scandal. Oh, okay. Yeah, and later, uh, later made into a movie starring Woody Harrelson, which resulted in a weird Reddit thing. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, very good. Now, as far as the public knew, Operation Transparency had one job: solve the murder of Biggie Smalls. Hmm. But really, the LAPD cared about something different altogether. Uh oh. Cover our asses. Uh, That's not transparency at all. (laughs) Yeah. Operation overalls. (laughs) (laughs) But in the process of trying to solve the Biggie Smalls murder, Kading ended up blowing the lid off everything, revealing a tale of treachery, hubris, and above all, careless disregard. Which is another thing, too, man. Greg Kading was also such a good cop, but also... Kept him from being a cop anymore. All these guys investigating the LAPD eventually quit because they were like, this place sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All right. Interesting. So, yeah. So he he ended up not uh, following through, huh? They didn't allow him to? Well, we'll have to see how the Let's see see how the story unfolds. Let's see how the story unfolds. Well, first, Kading had to debunk Poole's theory, which was actually fairly easy to do. Okay. Poole had relied heavily on uncorroborated statements from jail informants who were quickly discredited, half the evidence didn't match up, and the sinister Nation of Islam member, Amir Muhammad, he was just a mortgage broker named Harry Billups, who just happened to be the accused (laughs) LAPD cop's college roommate. It is very, very sad. So Harry Billups, known as Amir Muhammad, went to go visit David Mack in jail. And what happened was is that, so he went there and they were hanging out and it was fine, a normal visit. But at some point, Russell Poole is just going through context. And the thing about jailhouse confessions is that they'll say anything. Oh, yeah, right? of course. And so it was a guy's like, check it, check it. I got, I got news on uh, the murder of Biggie Smalls. And Russell Poole's like, tell me all about it. I'm sorry, that's the <laughs> Nick Broomfield voice. And so that's what I'll do. Like, tell me all about it. He's like, yeah, check it. And the thing is, you got to get me a TV, man. You got to get me a TV. And he's like, okay, whatever you need. Some Slim Jims. Yeah, 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 some Slim Jims. Yeah, that'd be good too, man. Yeah, he's like, whatever it takes to crack the unsold murder. <laughs> and then, in truth, he said, "Yeah, I know the shooter. His name is uh, I think it's Aman, uh, Amir, Mahan." And he just named like three things that sort of sounded like Amir. And yeah. then when um, he came up showing that he visited David uh. Mack, they're like, "This is the guy." And then it ruined Harry Billups' life, yeah. who was just, wasn't he a mortgage broker? He was a mortgage broker. Oh, my God. He might as well have just talked to you when it was bring your son to work day. Good <laughs> Lord. I did, that I is, did the crime. <laughs> that is unbelievably sad, though, that yeah. this random dude just got pulled into this thing unbeknownst to him entirely? Entirely. Uh. all It was all based on, like, he was just going to see his old buddy. Jeez. Uh, and, and, and after that, like... Paul just ran with it. And yeah, Billups did come out and say, like, this whole thing has ruined my life completely. I think there was yeah. a lawsuit involved. I hope he got some money. Yeah, I think he got a little bit. Okay. So even though very little of the original murder investigation was actually useful to Kading, the task force was not starting from square one. They also had access to a federal racketeering investigation against Death Row, which had oh. ran from 1995 to 2001. Wow. Unfortunately, though, like hundreds of other FBI cases, the Death Row case was scuttled following the events of September 11th and was completely abandoned. Hold on, Marcus. You're telling me it was scuttled? <laughs> yeah. 
It was scuttled like a bunch of crabs. Wow. Because that's what crabs do. That's what a crab movement in a group is called, a scuttle. I didn't realize that. Uh-huh. I yep. learned something new every day that I will quickly forget. Um, but uh, so 9-11, actually, in a strange way, obviously, that was that was the biggest crime in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So that, that actually kind of saved their ass? It saved hundreds of people's asses wow. because when all of these investigations that were going on in the FBI, as soon as 9-11 happened, uh, all of their resources got reallocated. So right. all of these criminals who have been sweating bullets uh, were very thankful for September 11th. It, oh, weird. good thing to remember. Remember, strange thing to think a good about. thing to remember about this investigation is that a lot of most of this is happening ten years after the fact, yeah. right? Like right, nine, right, ten right. years. So also remember they're piecing all of this shit together afterwards, where it's like right. every single time Greg Cading's pulling out another file because it's it's very interesting because of the implications of Russell Poole, which you'll find out in Murder Rap. All of the files that were put together as the investigation that Russell Poole did, like four huge binders of information about these were given to the internal affairs. Internal affairs held on to this shit, and Greg Kading had to wait for them to photocopy this shit. So it took months of really? pulling out this stuff bit after bit, and he gets the next file, and he's like, holy shit, they've been investigating them for racketeering for six years? And he right. didn't know. Could have used that information before. Actually, I don't think it was four. I think it was 72 gigantic Damn. binders wow. like it was a they showed a picture of all of the boxes that these things were in and mm-hmm. it, it was just a gigantic gigantic process okay now because of the slow pace of the investigation because he was only getting a few things at a time it took Kading and his team two years to get their first real break hmm. and that break came in the form of a man named Dwayne Keith Davis aka Keefy D, described by one informant as the president of the Southside Crips. Now, Keefy was actually a major player, being one of the people responsible for taking the Crips from a Los Angeles local to the nationwide criminal enterprise with chapters in every American city that it eventually became. Hmm. But the reason why Kading wanted to talk to Keefy was because Keefy was one of only a handful of people that were present at both the murder of Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls. Keefe is the Vince McMahon of the Crips. He brought it full nationwide. Yes. Yeah, definitely took over a lot of areas, perhaps angered a lot of people while doing it. Vince McMahon, by the way, he is muscle milk come to life. That is what that man is. He is a lot of veins. Yes. And vocal cords. That's really mm. all he is. I see, for Keefe D, the first thing I thought was a Suzanne Summers. What do you and mean? He, it was like the Crips were his thigh master, and he gave it all over the world. <laughs> okay. Again, I'm bringing it to things I understand. Yeah, yeah I just was thinking about the thigh master for some reason. As that well. thigh master, I my mother had one. It was very difficult. Oh yeah, and I was trying to do it as a child, a very overweight child, and uh, and I and I and it sprung up and it hit me in the face. That was horrible. I never did that again. Well, all Kading needed was a way to make Keefe talk, and he did that with a gallon of liquid PCP. Get out of here. A lot of here. people will talk if you do a gallon of PCP. <laughs> Wait, is this, what do you mean, this guy is a police officer with the LAPD, right? Well, working in conjunction with the DEA, Kading used an informant named Dirt Rock to set up a fake buy. Now, the deal went off without a hitch, but a few days later, Kading, flanked with DEA agents, showed up at Keefe's house and laid out all the evidence they had on the deal, which was enough to put away Keefe for life. I have a question for our listeners. Can someone tell me, if you have casually used PCP, 
Why? Why? I don't think you can. And what, is, what does it do that's good? I want to know what's good because they talk about a lot of these guys made their, their living selling PCP and weed, and it's like I don't really understand the desire to do just PCP on its own, if Like, but I don't know if it's like if you do it at low levels, is it fun? I don't know. I, I dated I a girl know. for a long time who had like a two-year PCP habit before uh, we got together, and she was never really able to fully explain to me. Like, I think she was just like, it stars. Yeah, it, sound, it doesn't sound very fun. I watched one thing on the drug wars on maybe National Geographic, and they dip it in the cigarettes. That's yeah. usually how you yeah. take it. Yeah, and no one looked to be like super thrilled. <laughs> they were naked, like pretty much immediately. Yeah, but they didn't look to be happy. It's called getting wet. Yeah, yeah, getting wet. Yeah, that's what this was for. KPD okay. was buy- KPD was buying the gallon of liquid PCP. It was like ten thousand five hundred dollars. Yeah, uh, Gee, hell yeah, a lot of PCP. Oh, it was enough to put him away forever. Wow. But then they told Keefe there was actually a way out of all this. And when Keefe asked how, Kading said, Let me put it this way. Uh, we're homicide investigators. Wink, 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 <laughs> wink, 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 wink. Am I just extremely high on PCP or are you winking like a bunch? Wink, wink, wink. I'm saying wink, but I physically can't wink because I have to keep my eyes open all the time because I'm investigating the murder of Biggie Small. I should have just said that. <laughs> Well, Get to it. Well, actually, they left without telling him what murder it was they were actually investigating. Okay. They just le- like left it hanging like, we're homicide investigators. Right. And then they left. But so, I'm just going to... So, but there was just a gallon of PCP that the LAPD just kind of let loose. The DEA. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The D- But they just let that go. They're they like, got it back. They, they, got, it they got it back that's in small, petty on. arrest. Yeah, sort of okay, it. all right. Makes come a lot of sense. Come on, come on, buddy. Yeah, that's when people are like, there's no way the CIA introduced crack. This happens all the time. In this case, it was a gallon of PCP that they were just like, that's collateral damage in the murder of Biggie and Tupac. Yeah, you could definitely see, like, Keefe D and, the, and Kading outside talking, and then his other buddy, like, Swamp Thing, his friend, like, with the big barrel of it, just being like, so I'm just going to take this and I'm going to I'm going to hide this. <laughs> <laughs> well, less than an hour after Kading left, Keefe's attorney called and said Keefe was ready to talk. And talk a lot. Because yeah. once again, he's not. <laughs> no, I know. He's not high FBCP. He's selling the stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's selling the stuff. But Kading let Keefe sweat for like a month. Hmm. Like they didn't come back for a while because they wanted him to wonder like which murder is, is it that they want to talk about? Sure, like, what yeah. The fu- like, what is this? Gosh. What's going to be going on? You know you have an interesting life when you're like, oh, I know they're homicide detectives, and then you have to do a mental Rolodex of everyone. <laughs> which one? Hmm. Which murder could it be? Uh. Have I murdered? <laughs> like, when you have to sit there and be like, I don't, I don't even know if I've murdered. Oh, man. Internal <laughs> wink, 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 wink. And then, at their next meeting, Kading revealed the focus of his investigation, Biggie Smalls. To this... Keefe said he didn't know anything about that murder, but what he did know, in Keefe's words, was going to blow Kading's fucking mind. All right. And when Keating asked him to elaborate, <laughs> Keefe said, that one wasn't us. Oh. And he was like, what? <laughs> yeah. You're fucking with me, dude. I just picture him giving back the gallon of PCP to Kading, just similar to uh, the naked gun when he's bribing the guy and the guy is bribing him back. Oh, yes, yes, back and forth. And so, in trying to solve the Biggie case, Kading accidentally found a new lead in the long-since-abandoned case of Tupac Shakur. Jeez. Because that's the thing. The Las Vegas PD had done little to no investigative work on Tupac's murder. Which is just crazy to me. This is like such a... It was such a huge case. And for them to just be like, we're sitting this one out. I never understood that. It is the thing that we've seen again and again. 
It is a con- it's the constant uh, their their thought process is that these guys were going to kill each other anyway. What do we give a shit? Yeah. They believe that these were gangster on gangster crimes, so they're like doing their job for them. So these men all died yeah. who had families and had all had a life and were just fucking artists. These guys were just artists. Right. They were they were dabbling in the life, but they were just guys making music and they got murdered and no one gave a shit. Yeah, we can't lose sight of that. These are artists here. Yeah. Last podcast on the left is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Thanks, Squarespace. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your own terms. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. This ain't your mama's website platform. It is, actually. It's actually be very easy for your mother to learn. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine. It's a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I thought it was just the name of what my blood pressure medication turned me into. And I'm peeing. Now, my goals for the year are I have two warehouses filled with horse picks. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, obviously this bit has been done, but the Zendaya centaur picks are not going anywhere. And I've been trying to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale line out. Uh, I need these moved, okay? Because I have to move into the storage unit. Let's just say there are problems at home. So I need Squarespace to shoot this through the roof for me this year. And that's why I'm going to go full tilt and not only are you going to get the judge reinhold sitting on the clydesdale entire series clothes and non-clothes what we also are going to offer and i mean this we're trying to get into giraffe rides i brought this up the other day we got to start riding other animals but horses take pictures of the horses photoshop the horses into other celebrities but stop riding them save a horse ride a giraffe with Squarespace. Go head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says right here, what would you do if another extra hour of your day? I mean, well, obviously I'd get some nunchuck training in. Oh, I'd make love to my wife. That takes about nine. That's a full nine minutes of that hour. And then I would probably uh, go to get a donut. And then I'd probably yell at my parents. But a lot of us wish we had more time. The question is time for what? I don't know. What works for you? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. And therapy can help you find out what matters to you so you could do more of it. You know that question? They're like, if you had a billion dollars, what would you do? You know, and like, you know, when I answer, it's of course, I would grind the government to a standstill with my giant machine of my making in secret for many years. But a lot of people get mad at that. And it's really hard to do that in a job interview or like when you're meeting somebody's like your significant other's parents for the first time. So, and we might actually want to think of starting therapy. So give BetterHelp a try. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash last pod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-A-S-T-P-O-D. Hey, 
Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. The experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants for all climates, locations, and needs. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, landscape design, and how best to take care of your plants. I love fast growing trees because i just moved here to los angeles i got a yard now and i'm doing all the landscaping myself i love working in my garden i love planting stuff i love growing stuff and the cool thing about fast growing trees that i really like is that they tell you exactly what type of growing zone you're in i'm in growing zone 10 and they can tell you exactly what type of trees or plants, or whatever you can put out in front of your house. Uh, I'm looking at the Norfolk Island pine tree. I'm looking at putting a little bit of red sister cordyline up in front of my fence. I think that'll the red will really pop nice. And maybe for the backyard, I got an extra planter that I might put a Satsuma plum tree in. And these prices are reasonable. They're reasonable if you've ever been to a nursery. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. It's sports. Prize picks. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor, what's eaten up? Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high stakes basketball moments this time of year. Yeah! Toss that rock! Come on, guys! Yeah, pass it around. Get on the excitement with Price Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious caps. Whether it's hula hoops or earring hoops, you're going to know everything you need to know about sports. You can now win up to 100 times your money on Price Picks with as little as four correct picks. Conference tournaments are here, which means the biggest moments in college basketball are getting closer. Basket. Ball. Price Picks even offers injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. I sure wish that Bobby Bonilla was still in the game because I would pick him to go all the way. Can you imagine Bobby Bonilla playing basketball? Woo-wee, dog! Then, it would be more like baseball, but Bobby Bonilla would still be crushing it in the contract game! Woo! The deadliest game of all. Download the app today. And use code LEFT for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LEFT for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. 
And uh, the uh, Las Vegas Police Department, they blamed their lack of investigation on the fact that key witnesses were uncooperative, because they were. Suge Knight even said, uh, like just a few years ago, he said, yeah, I'm not paid to solve homicides, so I'm not talking to him. Yeah, but Street then, code, you do not snitch. Uh, yeah, I know that, but if you're a cop and you're investigating a murder and then everyone's like, not going to talk, like they're just like, okie dokie, <laughs> we're just going to go on. And it's like, aren't you supposed to like do something to get him to talk or, or find a way? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that it, it seemed like the Las Vegas Police Department never really gave a fuck about solving the murder in the first place. Oh, right. But Kading sure as hell gave a fuck, so he listened to Keefe's story. Now, this wasn't the first time Keefe had spoken to investigators. Years before, Keefe had claimed that he didn't have anything to do with Tupac's murder. He even pushed, like, a different theory altogether. Mm. He pushed another cop theory, but it was a slightly different one than Poole had put forth. Okay. Keefe had suggested that while it was still Compton police that pulled the trigger on Tupac, it was actually Suge who ordered the hit. This is the dumbest theory of all of them. <laughs> this is the dumbest one? I thought that Suge... This is the dumbest theory. The because a part of street code is, right, is that not only they don't snitch, but they'll just lie. They'll just say shit just to throw you off, which makes everything very, very difficult to right. piece together. But the idea was is that Suge uh-huh. was afraid that Tupac was going to leave. Because the truth is that Tupac was trying to formulate his own little company. But right. he was the whole point was that him and his managers and his lawyers, they were going to try to extricate him from the death row contract because it was kind of like a weird little memo, friendly style with Suge, kind of the way that they worked it out with Easy and Dr. Dre, where they figured out how, like, Easy E will always get paid no matter what. So essentially, you kind of you massage it so we'll separate, but we'll, the money will still go back to you. So what they said is that Suge found out and he flipped out. So he ordered a hit against Tupac that would happen while Suge was in the car, and that he would get men that were just trained enough that they could shoot Tupac while driving past without hitting him. Well, you know he's a big guy. He wears a lot of red. You know where <laughs> not to shoot. I don't know. I suppose. I suppose so. Uh, but yeah, this is. I also, mean, this I mean, is that just is... common sense tells you there are such easier ways for if if Shook was going to actually order a hit on Tupac. Yeah. There are so much simpler ways than to have guys fire thirteen shots into a car that you're sitting in. It's a smart move, though. How could? It, why would I order the hit if I'm in the car? That's genius. You get shot. You <laughs> get shot. But that's a part of what happened. So, but I will say I watched it. Very revealing documentary that was released uh, a couple of months ago called Who Shot Biggie and Tupac with Ice-T and Soledad O'Brien. Oh, yeah. And they shot a bunch of mannequins. <laughs> because the whole point was to show that how stupid the theory was. So they had a marksman shoot bad. Because they talked about how, like, well, obviously you'd have to be, like, you. the first thing he did was, like, you know, any angle that you hold your Glock. And the guy was, like, trying to shoot like a gangster like doing the sideways thing you shoot at him and shoot at him and then the whole time like you know it's like the one gangster dude who was one of part of uh, Tupac's detail was like man pulled up his Nina and Soledad O'Brien was like and what tail is a Nina and Icey's <laughs> like a Nina's a nine there's a gun and then they slapped hands with each other because that's all Ice-T did for the most of the documentary was explain gang terms to Soledad O'Brien and look grimly on <laughs> that's that's great it's like what what, uh, what Key is doing in uh, in those commercials now where he explains yeah. different kind of language to different generations so even though Keefe had said that whole Suge Knight hired the fucking cops to kill Tupac because of uh, disloyalty, okay. even though he'd said all that years ago, he was now claiming that that whole story was bullshit. Mm. And what follows now is the story of the murder of Tupac with Keefe D filling in the blanks. Okay. 
So Keefy D came onto the Bad Boy record scene in the summer of 1995 when Biggie Smalls was touring as the headliner for the annual Summer Jam concert series. Mm. According to Keefy, Puffy hired a group of Crips to work security for the Anaheim and San Diego shows, paying them in free concert tickets. Kind of your Rolling Stone uh, Hell's Angels moment. Well, that's it. That, that's the whole thing, man. I mean, it's not like Puffy couldn't afford to hire real security, just like the Rolling Stones didn't have to hire the Hell's Angels right. Angels for security at Altamont in exchange for $500 worth of beer. It just made him... <laughs> <laughs> Although, I mean... It just, it just made him feel cool. Right. But there were a couple of things here. Number one, which I thought was really interesting, it was customary for East Coast rappers to have to pay a tribute to various L.A. gangs when you came into town. So a lot of what people said, eventually people were trying to avoid even coming to L.A. because you have to pay 30 grand just to play for the... Cri Basically, a gang would be like, this is our security fee. Um, it's 30 grand, uh, we'll make sure everything's okay, we'll make sure people are safe, and he's just like, well, sir, I think we have our own security deal here, I don't, don't uh, thank you so much for the offer, but you know, he's like, well, how about just 30 grand so we don't fuck your shit up? Yeah. Right, And right, so, right. like, that, that would happen, and then also, one thing Puff Daddy did do is that because of the burgeoning conflict between him and Suge, he, hi he hired and spoke to a section of the Crips that were specifically against the MOB Pyru crew. That was like a thing that caused a little bit of friction. It's hard to understand all the factions here. It reminds me of the WCW NWO, <laughs> the white NWO, and the red NWO, or the black and white NWO, and the red and black NWO. And I was really disappointed when Sting went over uh, to the black NWO, but then uh -huh. he actually went over to the red NW uh, right. NWO. But he uh -huh. should have just stayed with WCW. Gotcha. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> don't understand. It's just, it is just as complicated it because is, I don't understand. The gang, the gang hierarchy and structure is very, very intense. And yeah. one day yeah. we'll do Buds and Crips because it's a fascinating story that has like, Ooh. it goes back to the fucking 50s and 60s. Yeah. yeah. Now, just like hiring the Hells Angels at Altamont resulted in the death of fan Meredith Hunter, Puffy's mm. hiring of the Crips would have consequences that were even more far-reaching than that. Mm. See, the thing was, even though the Stones hired the Hells Angels, they weren't claiming to be Hells Angels. Right, right. Like, actually... They didn't even really know who the Hells Angels really were. <laughs> yeah, I don't like, think like, like Mick Jagger's little bones rattling on a motorcycle, he oh, would yeah. just fall apart. Don't do <laughs> I'll tell you, this is worse than a carriage going down downtown London. <laughs> like, yeah, so. yeah, the Stones were confusing the American Hells Angels with a bunch of British biker enthusiast posers who just called themselves the Hells Angels, ah. who had worked security at a concert in Hyde Park in London the year before. Do your due diligence yeah <laughs> that is what this means research right. what you're getting yourself involved in that's yeah. it so they were used to drinking o'doul's and then they switched over to a huge keg of uh what's the worst ice house ice house yeah yes. yeah, 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 yeah. no they ice house is brutal yeah they they didn't the rolling stones did not know like how dangerous the hell's angels they in america were... actually were i mean like right. jefferson airplane had used them for uh security once they said oh it went off without a hitch okay but altamont and altamont is also another one that we may do uh a story on or at the very least uh, like concert dis concert disasters at large because it's a fascinating story story yeah uh but still like the rolling stones like they were just trying to be cool they didn't really know who they were dealing with can we put woodstock 99 and that great white fire in there we will all right cool yeah but puffy he knew exactly who he was hiring and he knew exactly what hiring these guys meant 
Hiring <sighs> them meant he was unofficially aligning himself with the gang, with the Crips. This is the making. This is the making the band Puff Daddy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> yes. it's really crazy. Yes, and this was done in response to something Suge Knight had said a couple of weeks earlier. Suge Knight had very publicly called out Puffy at the 1995 Source Awards mm. while accepting the award for Best Motion Picture Soundtrack for Above the Rim. Remember that? Mm-hmm. But when Suge went up to accept the, the award, he did so with someone on his mind, Tupac Shakur. Because mm. earlier that day, Suge had been in upstate New York visiting Tupac in prison. So Suge started his speech by pledging his support to Tupac. But remember... Tupac had been telling Suge from day one that Biggie and Puffy were behind the shooting at Quad City that had occurred the day before Tupac had been sentenced. Right. That could be why Suge said this. And one other thing I'd like to say, any artist out there want to be an artist and want to stay a star and don't want to to have to worry about the executive producer trying to be all in the videos, all on the record, dancing, come to Jeff Rock. That was a lot like when Robert De Niro had his bold <laughs> stance against President Donald. Uh, that was, but I remember that. That was like yeah. crazy. Wasn't there a riot after that? Didn't that break out? No, no, that wasn't that. Well, people freaked out in the audience because people yeah. started going nuts. Man, shook so big. He's, He's so, so big. big. <laughs> that He's was so a, big. but that was a huge. That made it all the way to Stevens Point, Wisconsin. <laughs> that speech, and we we're like, that's really interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. And then again, I'm like, they're probably still friends. Yeah, admittedly, uh, Shook Knight was not wrong on this. I mean, Puffy did indeed insert himself into everything. Every video. Annoyingly so. But Suge said this not just in front of the entire hip-hop community, but in New York City on Puffy's home turf. Uh Uh-oh. Which is also what got Tupac Shakur uh, harassed in the first place by Haitian Jack, because you're talking mess in the other guy's territory. Like, you don't do that shit. Like, Haitian Jack, who is still alive. Yeah. Oh, really? Um... Oh, yeah, he's still alive, and he um, he says he had nothing to do with it. But the <laughs> guy who did it called him and said, I did this without your permission. And he was just like, no, no, oh, why did you do this? <laughs> so bad. All right. Now, Suge hadn't threatened any violence here, but he had a way about him where he didn't really need to. No. Like, no. to put it simply, Suge had a reputation, and that reputation scared the ever-loving shit out of Puffy. See, Death Row had long since allied themselves completely with the Bloods, despite Snoop Dogg's previous connection to the Crips. And the Bloods, specifically the Mob Pyru, acted as Suge Knight's enforcers. And that's a big reason why Puffy decided to hire the Crips to act as their personal security at the Summer Jams California dates. If Suge Knight was a character on Pee Wee Herman's, Herman's Playhouse, he would just be the refrigerator, and every time you open it up, he's like, I'm going to kill you. And then you have to shut it immediately. He, is, he was huge. He was like <laughs> such a big – his shoulders are the big – Anthony Mason of the New York Knicks, RIP Anthony, he and Suge have the same size shoulders, and they were the biggest uh, – Anthony's were the biggest I've ever seen in my life. I Shug passed Knight, him on the street. Suge Knight was an NFL defensive end. Yeah, huge. A gigantic man. And with this, the East Coast-West Coast rivalry now had actual gang affiliations Ooh. right in the middle of the bloodiest gang war this country had seen since Prohibition. Wow. But these guys are playing with fire, of course, right? Uh, obviously, they're playing with fire. But the the connections are... Remember when we say all these things, and a lot of people will read these in books, too, and talk about like them being really connected to these gangs. 
The gang connection's really nebulous. It's more yeah. like they invited them into their house like a vampire. Like they invited them in to being like, we're going to make you a part of our scene and promise that when you have a bunch of people that are really, truly criminals, these people are actually uncontrollable, right. you're just now letting chaos go. And these guys are going to mix how they're going to mix. And now you act like you think that you can control them, right. which is we're going to find out is the biggest problem of all. So this, would you say this is the biggest mistake? The Here. actual aligning themselves with these very legitimate people. Did Suge know? I mean, he had to know how serious these guys are, right? Like Suge- Well, Suge was uh, something completely like, because that's the thing is that Suge was, he was serious. Suge was, yes. an, he yes. was an actual, like, he was a criminal. Like, he knew exactly what he was doing. He had come up more in that world, uh, and he was- Good at it. Right. Uh, Puffy, on the other hand, was not quite the same type of person. No, Puffy like, was Puffy with- was, he was, but, I mean, because really, yeah, I mean, you say, like, you know, Puffy was the, the nicer one. Like, he was on he was, TL, he was on, uh, uh, what was it, TL, what's the name no, of it? He Total Crust Live. He was on TRL with Carson Daly. Yeah, I mean, he co-hosted Regis and Kelly. Good uh, Like, every once in a while. He was the guy that brought... Uh, hip hop into the mainstream. Yeah, like well, he was the one that did. He like, was the nice one that the Midwest could digest. He right? was. He was the one that he had the smooth style. Like right. it was. It wasn't any. It wasn't funky. You know. It was very smooth. Uh, so Puffy was. He was really playing with fire and right. had no idea what the fuck he was doing. Or at least he thought he knew he did, but he did not. Right. Right. Now Puffy, after hiring the Crips, he started flexing a little. Just before Biggie's show in Anaheim, just a couple of weeks after the Source Awards diss, Puffy allegedly told a room full of Crips that he'd give anything for the head of Suge Knight. He just starts throwing this shit out there. Now, it doesn't really seem like Puffy was really serious with this threat at that point. But then the Jake Robles murder happened in Atlanta, and Suge publicly blamed Robles' death on one of Puffy's bodyguards. Now, Puffy completely denies having anything to do with the murder, even pointing out that he was standing right next to Suge Knight when it happened, because he was. So Puffy is just acting like Prince Nottingham right now, <laughs> just be like, bring me his head, and but he's yes. like, that, well, that's no, a very serious requ- uh, request, I think. It's way more similar to the uh, Cousin Eddie moment from National Lampoon's <laughs> Christmas Vacation, where he to, where I wrapped in a nice and little bow. Like, All right. Like, like it, is, it is that. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, it didn't matter whether or not Puffy had anything to do with the murder of Jake Robles. All that mattered was that Suge believed Puffy was behind it. Right. That murder was partly why Tupac released Hit Him Up on June 4th, 1996. Now, up until that point, hip-hop artists didn't really openly threaten each other with violence on diss tracks. And they certainly didn't threaten each other with murder. Right. Most of the time, like, it's like they'd... It'd be an attack on the other person's cred, maybe a few jokes about their appearance, followed by a couple of homophobic insults, right. and that'd be the end of it. But Hit Him Up was different. It was violent, specific, and very, very personal. Hmm. Before the beat even starts, Tupac just comes right out and says, That's why I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. Whoa. Hit him. Mr. That doesn't I'm even rhyme. Sign up for a roast. Um, this is not what I'm supposed to be involved in. I've not prepared any materials. So. Yeah. Roast mode. Like, yeah, it's just like, fuck. Yeah. Like, that, like, that was right up top. And that is, like, it's also very indicative of how huge Suge Knight was. Like, everyone's just like, must have been talking about Mr. Knight there. Because <laughs> it's only one. Or no, no Biggie. Uh, no, Biggie, rather. I'm sorry. That's indicative of how big uh, Biggie was, yes. Yeah. And Tupac saying, I fucked your bitch, that was in reference to Biggie's wife, 
Faith Evans, mm. who had collaborated with Tupac on a track the year before. And it only got more aggressive from there. Throughout the song, Tupac made it very clear that this was not just talk. Can I just, isn't the music video, can we, did we mention the music video? Isn't it just a big guy pretending to be uh, Notorious B.I.G. Yes, and they just partly. beat him up throughout the entire video? Well, he just kind of looks like a fool because that, yeah, that, was, yeah. that was pretty common in hip-hop videos as well. It's like if you're talking shit about the guy, you usually hire a guy to look like the guy you're making fun right, of. Right, right. And then okay. you kind of chase him around and it's, you know, and it's actually most of the times pretty goofy. Right. Like they yeah. did that with, uh, I think like they had an Easy e impersonator for the Dre Day video. Yeah, they got a little guy, they got yeah. a little guy to to play Easy E, and then they chase him around like Benny Hill. Like yeah. it's funny. It's That's like what, a silly little moment. Yeah. That's what they did with Bret Hart after the Montreal screw job on Monday Night Raw. They That's brought right. out a little person to be Bret Hart. That's funny. Well, this was completely different. This was not, this could not be taken in any way as lighthearted. Okay. Uh, it was aggressive. Now, throughout the song, Tupac made it very clear that this was not just talk. He even made sure to explicitly say this was not a rap battle. The plan is to kill you. Uh, and he called out Biggie, Puffy, and Bad Boy at large by name. Hmm. Now, violence and gangster rap lyrics is not new. I mean, it was, right. it's a big part of it. But usually, the violence had been broad and vague. It's more of like a generalized character building thing. With this, though... Tupac was making specific threats. He even devoted the last minute and a half of the song to just talking. And the more he talked, the angrier he got. Hmm. And eventually, he landed on this. All of y'all motherfuckers, fuck you, die slow, motherfucker. My fofo make sure all y'all kids don't grow. You motherfucker. Which was seen as pretty aggressive. I think. <laughs> I, I, think <laughs> I understand You know what why. I'll say? It's almost nice. Because him dying slow... He can say like goodbye to his family. Sure, he's like a couple of last moments. He could throw out one last final rap. Yeah, to everyone. So it's great. It's nice actually. Yeah, if he was like the witch from the movie Thinner, um, <laughs> where he was just like he just cursed him, and it took about three months before he inevitably um, uh, evaporated into the earth. But uh, obviously, that's not what happened. Yeah, and that's only a small part of that ending rant. But this also begs a question: How serious was Tupac? How serious was Tupac? Was he really going to kill anyone? Was he really going to kill anyone? Or Very good. was this just the next logical lyrical evolution in the game that these dudes were playing? Hmm. That's, a long <laughs> That's too long of a question for me to repeat. <laughs> well, Tupac got real serious. Um, and there were like his whole crew, him and the outlaws, were very, very serious. They, yeah. were, they were threatened violence quite a bit. They were all carrying Nina's. Everybody was was ready to go. They were ready to like they. He Ugh. was and to the point where Snoop Dogg was afraid of him. That whole story where they took the plane over and like Snoop Dogg had accidentally hung out with a bunch of East Coast guys. Yeah. And Tupac found out and he was furious. And so Snoop Dogg had to hide under a blanket with a fork and knife that he was waiting for Tupac to come oh, get him man. in his sleep. Yeah, God, but yeah, I love Snoop. I'm so happy that Snoop is still with us. I'm so happy. His show, can... his YouTube uh, channel <laughs> is. Absolutely hilarious. Yeah, anyway. I mean, they'd taken it even further than that because they were on a private jet from New York to L.A., uh, and they took Snoop Dogg's security away from him. They're like, no, nah, they're not going with you. You're going on this plane right now. You're coming with oh us. Oh, my God. And, yeah, he sat there just hiding with a knife and fork, just waiting for someone to attack him. <laughs> All right. Um, but... You know, but that, but you just really have to wonder, like... I also do think... I just picture Chris Christie during Bridgegate doing the exact same thing. <laughs> just like caught with a knife and foot. But it's, these are the only weapons I know how to use. Also, I feel maybe if I just hold the knife from fork, the meatball will show up. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha, Chris Christie. He's a shit. 
I mean, and, and there were other, like, smaller, like, specific, like, West Coast over the East Coast diss tracks. Like, uh, the Dog Pound did uh, a video in which, and there was, like, a small, a bit of gunfire exchange there. Like, the Dog Pound came to New York to uh, shoot a video, and they were, and it was actually, it was called New York, New York, and it was supposed to be more of a tribute to New York. Like, mm-hmm. it was respectful, uh, but they were shooting a part of the video in Red Hook in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, and shots rang out. Someone took some shots at them. And so, what they ended up doing is coming back to Los Angeles and doing it all on green screen where the dog pound, including Snoop Dogg, were all gigantic Godzillas, and they were, like, knocking down all the buildings in New York City. That's, that's a fun idea. That's, fun. <laughs> that's, that's, that's cute. It's a great song, and it's a really, it's a really fun video. Right. Uh, but, you know, Hit em Up took that further. Like, right. that took it up to the next level. Yeah, I um, mean, at this point, they're just pretending like they're the monsters from the Rampage, the video game. Yeah. And then, and then Tupac actually is just... It's going into great detail about how he's going to kill Biggie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And because of that, you know, according to Keefe D, like, Puffy wasn't going to take the chance that Tupac was serious or not. Or at least he didn't want to appear to take that chance. See, besides just being the facilitator of the Crips hire, Keefe D and Puffy were friends. They were introduced by a New York drug dealer named Zip who owned a nightclub in Harlem called the Zip Code. Cool. <laughs> I love that. It does sound like he's selling. Hey, guys, name Zip. Good to meet you. How's everybody doing today? This is my buddy, the Hound Dog. <laughs> <laughs> a little morning zoo style. But Keefe D was an L.A. guy, and just about every time Puffy went to L.A., the two met at lunch at Greenblatt's Diner over near the Laugh Factory on Sunset Boulevard. But as the years went by, their conversations became more and more dominated by the East Coast-West Coast rivalry. Ugh. And after Hit Em Up was released, complete with the music video to make sure it got attention, right. the conversation got serious. And Keefe D said that Puffy explicitly offered him a million dollars to kill Suge Knight and Tupac Shakur. Is he Dr. Evil? <laughs> yes. <laughs> million dollars. Oh I, mem- oh, I miss it. I miss Vernon Troyer. Oh, oh man. R.I.P. But yeah. so tiny. Uh, but it's the Keefe D had to keep a straight face because they were talking about how he's like, when he's offering it, they're sitting having this serious, like, we got to kill him. I'll give you a million dollars to kill Suge fucking Tupac Shakur. And he's like, I would have done it for like fifty grand. Like, <laughs> right. just like, and she was just like holding, like waiting to see what if he follows up. And he's like, "Okay, I'll take a million dollars." Jeez, this is crazy! No. All happening right outside, laugh the laugh factory, <laughs> a place of joy and no sadness at all because it's a laugh factory. Yeah, laugh well, factory. Laughs, so factory. laughs are pressed every five seconds by a man <laughs> who's paid forty-five cents an hour. <laughs> Now, there's speculation as to whether Puffy was serious here. Now, it could have just been more bravado, as in Puffy needed to look tough in front of his actual criminal friends mm-hmm. and didn't actually expect Keefe D to kill Tupac and Shook. I mean, they've been talking about it now. How long has this conversation been going on? This conversation's been going on for a while, but it didn't really get... I mean, it's going on maybe three, two, three years. At some point, at don't point. you just have to stop and be like, we're just joking, right? Like, you got to bring it no. back to like, okay, but we're not being serious here. There were guys that were trying to say that to him. They were like, what you'll find out too is that in this is that there are a lot of guys that were like, this is just, you, you guys understand it. You guys are just kind of messing with this thing, but right. you're, you're not real gangsters. Yeah. And they, but they were, they were far away from them. Right. They're yeah. the people that were their direct crew 
like the outlaws made Tupac feel like he was fucking invincible and Puff surrounding himself with these crips also was making him like really like they were playing a part and it went too far. They were just sitting there and they got it felt really good to sit and have like mafia conversations or at the fucking deli like it's a Scorsese movie and it's not it's not but none of those movies feasible. They never end well. No. Goodfellas has the most sad ending of maybe any movie of all time. Whether Puffy was serious or not, Keefy D took him seriously. And so the word was out. Kill Tupac and Shug, make a million dollars. Oh my God. And here is where Tupac and Puffy were about to discover that while they may have been having a great time playing gangster, the guys they were surrounding themselves with were taking it very, very seriously. And that's where we'll pick oh, up next time. Right. Okay. Man, it's just so sad because I want to see Biggie now. I want to see him like yeah. talking about the new chicken oh, shell taco at Taco Bell. He I want to see him oh, promoting man. like a great restaurants. Like he would who knows he what been, he would have been doing. He would have been the colonel. Yeah. He would just be like <laughs> oh he, my God. he was not in when even when he died, he was only so you gotta remember these dudes I know they're so that, the one thing that we always forget when right. talking about these stories. These guys were 24 and 25 years old. Yep. That's and it. They only seemed old to us because we were 14. Yeah. And I was like, 10 years difference. Oh, you know. Yeah. They were, they were young. so sad. Biggie Smalls was 24 years old. Tupac Shakur was 25 years oh, old. Yeah, These guys yeah, were man. so young. They were, so they were young. fucking kids. They didn't know what they were doing. Uh, they weren't paying attention. Saying, like, I mean, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I just, I hope nobody is, is thinking that we're like blaming these guys for their deaths or saying that, you know, it was, or anything like that. We're absolutely not doing that. No. What, what we're saying is like these, pay attention. These like you got to pay attention to what's yeah. going on around you. Be careful. We did this last episode. Just, you have to be careful who you pretend to be yeah. because you get exactly what you ask for in this life. This shit shows up. If you want to uh. dabble in this kind of energy, you're going to have to pay for it eventually. Just how it, this is how it is. Like no one gets sc- away scot-free unless you're Haitian Jack and you move <laughs> to the Dominican Republic and he seems to be fine. He's doing, he's doing really good. Um, oh my goodness! But m- man, oh man! Yes. I'm just glad that Tupac's d- still alive. <laughs> yeah, after that's all a good of this point. Shit. That's a good point. And you know, we always, as we've said before, you know, surround yourself with good people. But if you are doing stuff wrong, you can always change too. Yeah, it's never too late uh, to change bad habits and just because this, they should just be alive. Yeah. Um, but anywho, yeah. all right. Well, very interesting. This, th- you know what? There's a lot. To, there's a lot to this story. Yeah, I'm just there is a lot. That. There's a lot to unpack. There's quite a bit, and we got one more part of it. Yeah. So I hope you guys enjoy our conclusion because we've solved it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> we solved it by reading the book of the guy who solved it. Right. 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 Yeah, also, yeah. but again, remember, people who did uh, the outlaw like bought the book that we the, the last book. Murder Rap is also a great book by Greg Kane, but mur- it's very complicated. Yeah, Murder Rap is is great, uh, and the documentary uh, based on Murder Rap is also really great. Uh, but yes, Murder Rap is very complicated, and, and we might get into some of the complicated, th- like how he really put this case together, uh, because while Pool's theory is complicated in its players. Kading's theory is very simple in its players, but it is very complicated as to how he got the case to where it needed to be uh, right. because it's very complicated police work. Uh, but if you're interested in like police work and like police pr- procedure, like Murder App is absolutely uh, a great way to go. And Kading's a, a good writer too. Awesome. Like, not all that you don't always get that with these books. Like sometimes these guys are are not. Uh, you're telling super me for, former detectives aren't always great writers. Former detectives don't always make 
the best authors, but sometimes <laughs> sometimes they're they're naturals. Sometimes they're great at it, and, and Greg Kading's one of those guys. So yeah, definitely awesome. support support Greg Kading and support you know support everyone. I want to give a special shout out and a thank you to Daniela Panetta. She mentions us she mentions us in her Hollywood Reporter episode or oh. um, article. She's in the Jurassic World, the Fallen Kingdom. Oh. So go support our friend there. She was very kind. She said she's going to give a big chunk of her check to our Patreon, which is like unbelievably sweet. So thank you for the shout out. That was really nice. So wait a second. I want to give one shout out. All right. To Greg Russian, who bought me a bullwhip. Oh my God! <laughs> that I this now is the have last in thing studio. You need. Can I do an anti shout out? Why, do you, Mr. Russian? Do you have any idea what you've done? You do Look not need this, a, a cattle whip. I I'm invincible now. It I is. can wear it as a belt. I can wear it. I can go in the airport with it. And then if anybody causes any mess, uh-huh. if anybody causes a fucking mess, there is nobody that is not too real to not be whipped. Uh, because that is what I will do, man. I provide a whip. All right. Woo! I do wish we lived in a in a place where the bull whip was the only weapon that existed, because then fights and duels would be ended in a much well, it was still violent and uh, it would still hurt, but still everyone would well, most likely be a, live. There'd be a lot more stranglings. Yeah, there would be that. Yeah. That's very yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can't do a drive-by <laughs> strangling. That's not. Actually, and a drive-by a whipping le- is just kind of fun. Ow! And you're just like, what? The yeah, yeah. yeah. Ow, ow, ow. There'd be a lot less eyes. Yeah. That's for certain. Oh yeah, that's. You'll pop your eye out on one of these for a second. There's and I problems. had it for about 15 minutes, and I almost whipped Jackie across the face with it. But it's fun as shit mm-hmm. because it <laughs> makes me so much more uncontrollable. Uh, uh, Henry, I will tell you from experience: be careful. You can hurt yourself very badly with that thing. <laughs> no, not the way that he's handling it and, and violently swinging it around like he knows what he's doing. No damage will come to Henry whatsoever. <laughs> Tune in next month for Eye Patch Henry Zabrowski. <laughs> You're going to shoot your eye out, kid. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Thanks for giving to our Patreon. Of course. We, uh, our tour dates are out there now, uh, so check those out. We can't wait to see everyone. What do we got? We got Phoenix coming up. Yeah, we, Philly. Phoenix, Philly, Boston, San Diego. Uh, and also to, to clear up like a little bit of confusion as oh, far yeah. as uh, like the VIP tickets go on uh, on Ticketmaster, whoever it is, did a terrible job of actually telling you what you get with that. Yes. Uh, for like, the VIP thing, it's pretty much, you know, we're, we're starting to do much bigger venues now. So, you know, everybody can see us. And with those bigger venues, like we just don't have time to meet everybody. Right. Uh, but with the VIP meet and greet thing, uh, you also get a limited edition tour poster signed cool. by us. This tour, I love these posters. I'm getting it framed. Uh-huh, because this yes. is the Nothing But Trouble Tour 2018. Hell yeah. Uh, and so we're going to be... Yeah, sign posters, uh, and you also get a lanyard. The, who doesn't love a lanyard? Lanyards are really important because you can collect them and they're fun, and they make you feel. You can feel like you always walk into a crime scene anytime you want. But I can honestly, definitely tell you a, the son of a detective because you love a lanyard. You love to just <laughs> flash lanyards. Lanyard. You're like, oh, I I've do. never seen someone more confident when a lanyard goes around their neck. But we're trying this VIP thing too. Like, it's a, obviously it's a change for us too. We're we're trying it so like. Honestly, to tell us what you think about it. Like, come, like, come and like, come and meet us, and we're gonna hang out. You know, to, to, we're we're trying something because yeah, we're we're, just, we're essentially yeah. we're we're building it. Essentially, we're using this tour to create money to create a bigger project for ourselves. Right. And, because what we like here, and the one thing about last podcast and left and wait's always been is that we don't have any fucking corporate overlords. They hate it's us. It's just us. <laughs> yeah. It is, it's it's <laughs> the three of us. We now have a company. We're run, like we're paying other people's living wages. It's a thing that it's thing that's happening and a part of what we'd like to do is make 
sure like if we want to do a project, we can fund it ourselves. So we don't have to compromise or talk to anybody about what we're what we're making. And and I think that's important. There's so many yeah. fucking middlemen now out there making like making money off of artists. You know what I would say we are? We are the Green Bay Packers of podcasts. How does that work? How? Because they're owned by the fans. Ah. Everyone has stake in the Green Bay Packers, and uh, they're all shareholders. So that's what we are as well. But honestly, thank you guys for for fucking going on this journey with us. Honestly, this is one of those where we're still. I'm still always in shock about this, and I think I'm not going to say it doesn't have to do with rituals I did back in the day when I was really involved in chaos magic, and now I don't do it as much because of how much chaos it causes in my life. You are really going yeah. to a dark place here at the end. <laughs> Nobody. No. no. Oh, that's a good place. No, okay, it's yeah, a good place. A good place. Both of us had to put that down. Yeah, because you guys were doing things that were disgusting with the paper and then the eating and then all that stuff. But we're not going to get into all. We don't have to relitigate yeah. chaos match. No, we really, we really don't. But yeah, we we both uh, both had to put that put that put that to bed for a little while. Okay. Little well, thank while. you all yeah, so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. So we're excited to see you. Uh, you can find all of us on the social media. I've deactivated my Twitter. If there's any confusion, because it was getting so toxic, I'm just trying to go without for a little while and see I'm how that works. There. I'm a brave. I'm a brave warrior in the muck. You can find me on Twitter at Henry Loves You and well, Matt Marcus Parks and the fucking I think it's bullshit. almost he more, checks more it. brave to break out of the system, though, sometimes, too. Or you can sometimes do it like me. Crap. You can have it and just ignore it. And every <laughs> once in a while, go post something if you feel like it. You can also yeah. do it that way. It does work like that. Um, and you can follow us on Instagram at Dr. Fantasy at Marcus Parks at Ben Kissel, the number one, where Kissel has been very active. He's been doing a lot of videotape, and it's really nice. You can see of- chunks of his life because well, I don't we- see your life as much anymore, so it's nice to see. I want to give a shout-out to the what Urban Pioneers. The Urban Pioneers, they yeah. They are a great band. Marcus is related to the the lead fiddlist. Is that fit, a term? Fit, a, yeah, fit, fiddle player. Fiddle player. Yeah. And fiddlest. Uh, we, fiddlest? <laughs> a fiddlest? Uh, I don't I know. It's kind of a funny word. Yeah. But they are on a tour right now all across America. I think they're they are they are old school. So they're just they're just driving all around. So if you get a chance, check out the Urban Pioneers. I, I yeah. uh, stored them on my Instagram. They were like they deserve huge crowds. And they, uh, and they really do. They, they yeah, yeah. Check, check them out. Yep, Liz is my cousin. Uh, just go. You can follow them on Instagram at Urban Pioneers. Uh, and yeah, listen to their music on Spotify. And yeah, they do something like 250 dates a year. That's crazy. So they uh, they'll they'll be out there. Uh, but they're on a, a tour right now. I think they're going down currently going down the East Coast and then coming back over to Texas. Yeah. Uh, but yes, please please check them out and mm. uh, yeah, go listen to them. They're fucking great. All right, everyone. Uh, and also follow Last Podcast and Left and all of the bullshits at LP on the left. There it is. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan! Elgin. Magustalations. Hail me. Help a boy feel strong, not oh. fragile. Oh. I like it. <laughs> I like is that, that's a, it's a long catchphrase. Help a boy feel strong, not fragile. <laughs> Help a boy yeah, feel really strong, fit on a bumper not, sticker, fragile. not fragile. All right. <laughs> We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. In a fast-paced world... 
Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.